Well, if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 11. If you don't have one, we'd be happy to provide you with one. Uh, the words will be on the screen as we're making our way uh, through, through the text this morning. But for those who, you know, maybe, maybe you weren't here last week, um, for, for, for your benefit, and I think just to remind ourselves of what we looked at last week and really establish the context for the verses that we are going to look at this morning, I just want to do a brief recap of what we looked at in verses 14 through 28 last week. In Luke chapter 11, uh, verse 14, we start out with just a very quick statement from Luke about the fact that Jesus cast a demon out of a man. He cast out a demon, a demon that had made, had made this man mute, unable to speak. But as soon as Jesus freed this man, he began to speak, right? His tongue was, was set loose. He was healed. It was a miracle. It was a miracle. And so not surprisingly, Luke tells us that in verse 14, that the people marveled, wouldn't you? Right? Of course, naturally, they, they marveled. But as we read, there were a couple of other reactions. In verses 15 and 16, we saw that some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. Right? They accused Jesus, the son of God, of casting out demons by the power of Satan. It's blasphemy, right? Total blasphemy. But others, verse 16, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. And last week in verses 17 through 28, we saw how Jesus responded to the accusation that he was being empowered by Satan, right? First, Jesus demonstrated that what they had suggested didn't even make sense, right? He points out how illogical their suggestion is. Why, he said, why would Satan fight against himself? What you're saying doesn't make sense. But using their accusation as a springboard, Jesus, Jesus reminded them that, that there, really is, there really is a spiritual battle being fought for the souls of mankind. It was a battle that was being fought before Jesus arrived on the scene, and it's a battle that was fought while he was on the scene, and it's a battle that is still being fought today for the souls of mankind. It's a, it's a battle between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And Jesus warned them. He warned them, and I believe, and us, that there is no neutral ground in this spiritual war. There is no neutral party. You're either with Jesus, he said, or you are against him. That's what he said in verse 23. Everyone is part of one kingdom or the other. There is no third kingdom. This is it. And so that was last week. That's what we looked at last week. And if you didn't see it, I, you, you can go back and watch that on YouTube. Um, but that's sort of the background for, for, for where we're at today. This morning, as we pick up in verse 29, we're going to take a look at how he responds to the second reaction, right? The, to those who, testing him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. Let's begin reading in verse 29. Luke chapter 11, verse 29. 
When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign. Let's stop there for a moment. Don't you love the way that Jesus begins this message? Don't you love that? This generation is an evil generation. I thought about starting that way this morning. You know? He looks out at this large crowd and and he just tells it like it is. He's not happy with them. He's not happy, right? For good reason. For good reason. I mean, this, this is the crowd that has just witnessed a miracle. Some accused him of casting out demons by Satan, and others are saying, not good enough, do some more. Jesus is not happy. He looks them in the eye, he says, this is an evil generation, but then he tells them why. Because it seeks for a sign. They just saw a sign, right? They just saw a sign. They had seen Jesus restore the voice to a man who had been unable to talk. But they're like, why don't you prove to us that you're really from God? Do something else. Do something more. Do something bigger. We want a sign from heaven. You're kidding, right? Right? Last week, I mentioned that by this point, everybody had heard about the signs and wonders that Jesus had been performing. Everybody had heard about the claims that that the Messiah has arrived. The word would have spread like wildfire throughout Israel. They'd heard about Jesus healing the sick, restoring sight to the blind, cleansing lepers, healing a paralytic. They'd even heard about him raising people who were dead back to life. Oh, give us a sign from heaven. Really? Really? Yeah, they wanted more. You see, the problem with that crowd was the same problem that many in that generation had. They refused to believe. Testing Jesus, they kept seeking a sign from heaven. Yeah, oh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool that you restored that guy's voice, but we want, we want more. We want you to do what we want you to do, right? And I'm sure everybody in their mind had their, their mind made up about, well, this is what would convince me. This is what would, do you think it would? No, no. John chapter 20, John chapter 20, near the end of John's gospel in verses 30 to 31, I love these verses. John says that Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. John says that, that, look, Jesus did so many miracles. I didn't didn't write them all down in my my gospel. They're not all written here. No, No doubt some of them were written in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, like the one that we're looking at today. But he says, he says, but these, but these, the signs that I have written about, this is their purpose. They are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the purpose of the signs that we wrote down. John says that the signs and the wonders were proof that Jesus is the Son of God. They proved it. His miracles were proof that he really is the Messiah. 
and they were performed and they were written down so that we might believe and have life in his name. But sadly, but sadly, like, and not, not just then, but like many today, many of that generation, they refused to believe what was right in front of them. And so Jesus says, Jesus says, this is an evil generation. Now, if you think about it, if you think about it for a second, every generation is an evil generation, right? I mean, all you have to do is just do a brief survey of world history, and you're not going to have a hard time finding out that every single generation is marked by evil. Why? Because every generation since Adam is filled with sinful human beings, right? We are sinful human beings. And oftentimes, sinful human beings do things that are quite, quite evil, agreed? But Jesus, but Jesus says that this crowd, he's like, this is an evil, this, this crowd is particularly evil because there's something unique about this generation that Jesus is speaking to. They witnessed firsthand, right, the signs that Jesus performed. You, you and I, we, we weren't there when he fed the 5,000. We didn't stand there when he, when he healed the, the, the man that was mute. That, that doesn't let us off the hook, right? We have his word and we're accountable for that. But this was a particularly evil generation in that they witnessed firsthand and they rejected the Messiah, the Son of God, who was standing right in front of them. They should have believed. The miracles were proof that he was who he said he was, that he is the Christ, the Son of God, but they refused to believe. Give us another sign. Give us another sign. Give us another sign. And so in verse 29, Jesus says, this, this generation is evil. It seeks for a sign. But, he continues, no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. I laughed this morning when I got here. I brought my slides up to, to Jonah, who's sitting at the, at the tech booth this morning running slides for us. And he said, I was supposed to bring a sign today. <laughs> this is the sign of Jonah. Um, no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Jesus isn't going to play their game. He's not going to play their game. Oh, okay, you want me to do that? Or you want me to? No, that's not how it works. Do something bigger, do something better. No. Jesus says, the only sign you're going to be given is the sign of Jonah. But make no mistake, it's a big sign. It's a good one. It is, it is a big one. We're going to look at that in just a moment here. But for those of you who may not be familiar with the book of Jonah, I'm just going to give a, a quick summary, okay? The, the book of Jonah, just it's four chapters long. And if you've never read it, like that's a homework, right? This week, read the book of Jonah. Small little book in the Old Testament. Very good book. Um, if you've already read it, read it again, right? It's, it's four chapters, right? Just sit down and read it. You're going to enjoy it. Um, but it tells the story of a, of a Jewish prophet named Jonah. 
And God tells Jonah to arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. God says, I want you to go and announce judgment that is coming upon them. Now, you got to know this. Jonah loved the idea of judgment coming on, on, on the people of Nineveh. <laughs> like, yes! I hope it comes soon. He didn't like them. They were his enemy. And he was happy to hear about the judgment. But Jonah also didn't want anything to do with the Ninevites. He didn't want to go there. In fact, we find out later that part of the problem was that he was afraid that, that they might repent and that God might relent. And so Jonah's like, I don't want to warn them. Just do away with them. That'd be awesome. And so rather than obey God, Jonah tried to run from God. He gets in a boat in Joppa and he sets sail across the Mediterranean for, for Tarshish. He is literally going in the opposite direction from where God has called him to go. But he never makes it to Tarshish, does he? Because what happens? What happens? Well, God sends a huge storm that threatens the lives of everybody on the ship. And recognizing that this storm is a, a divine judgment and knowing that he is the cause, right? Jonah tells the others to throw him overboard. Just chuck me over the side. It's my fault. And actually, when you read the story, it's kind of funny to see that they're like, they don't do it immediately. You know, they're like, well, no, no, no let's just keep trying. And like, okay, yeah, we got to do it. So they do. Okay, they do. They throw him overboard. And when they did, what happened? The storm ended. It ended. And God sent a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And the text says that Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And while he's in the belly of the fish, Jonah repents. And the, then the fish spits him up on dry land, right? And he then traveled over, over 550 miles to Nineveh, which is located in, in ancient Assyria, modern-day Iraq. And he preached God's coming judgment. And to Jonah's dismay... What happened? They believed. They believed and they repented. And in Jonah chapter three, verse 10, we read that when God saw what they did, how they turned away from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. So, so that's a brief summary. There, there's more to the end of the story, but that's a, that's a brief summary. You can read the rest of the story on your own this week. So Jesus says that, listen, the only sign that you're going to be given is the sign of Jonah. But what is the sign of Jonah that Jesus is talking about? Well, there's a lot of, there's a lot of parallels that you could draw about the fact that they were both sent with a message and announcing judgment and, you know, a lot of different parallels you could make. But thankfully, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus actually tells us what the sign of Jonah is. He says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The sign of Jonah, the sign of Jonah, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus from the grave. 
It, it is a sign. It is a huge sign that was given not only to that generation, but to every generation. Just as Jonah was swallowed up in the belly of the fish, Jesus' broken body was placed. He was dead in a tomb. And just as Jonah came back up out of the mouth of that great fish, oh boy, on the third day, Jesus stepped out of the tomb, rising victoriously over death. Amen? Amen. We're going to celebrate that again at Easter. Hopefully, we celebrate it every single day. The sign of Jonah, it is the sign right? It is the sign. It is the miracle above all other miracles. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says that this is the gospel that he preached. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses three through four. Pastor Kent Hughes says that the great and the grand sign that Jesus gives to all is the miracle of his atoning death, burial, and his triumphant resurrection. This is the sign of Jonah. By the way, before we continue, I, I, I wanna point out that Jesus holds Jonah up as a real historical figure. I wanna point out that, that he holds these events up as real historical events. And I point, that out because, I point that out because I know that even as I read or tell that brief summary of the story, that some are tempted to say, oh, that's just a fanciful tale, right? I point it out because there are those who feel the need to explain away all of the miraculous events recorded in Scripture. You don't need to explain them away. Jesus didn't explain them away, right? And neither should we. I've heard it said that if, if you can believe Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, ex nihilo, means out of nothing. If God can create all that is out of nothing, honestly, is it really that difficult for him to part a sea? Is it really that difficult for him to have a fish swallow up one of his disobedient children? No. We don't need to explain away the miracles. Embrace them. Embrace them. Jesus did. Well, in verse 31, Jesus continues and he says, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Now, Jesus has already called their attention to, to the Old Testament prophet Jonah. Now he reminds them of someone else from the Old Testament scriptures, the, the queen of the south, or she's referred to in the Old Testament, the queen of 
Sheba. There's a lot of debate about you know, where exactly this was, where, where, where this, uh, the Queen of Sheba was from. Uh, most scholars believe that it was either uh, modern-day Ethiopia or uh, modern-day Yemen. Either way, a long ways from Jerusalem, okay? A long journey from Jerusalem. In the book of 1 Kings, in the verse, uh, book of 1 Kings, we read that the Queen of Sheba, after she had heard about the extraordinary and just the, the unmatched wisdom of King Solomon, she gathered together an entourage and she made her way to Jerusalem. Jesus says, Jesus says here that she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of, of Solomon. And after she, she sees his wisdom, the, the queen of Sheba was so amazed. She was amazed. Like She said, I, you, the, 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 the things that are being said about you, they don't even tell the half of it, right? They don't even tell the half of it. It's amazing. In 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 6 through 9, this is, this is her reaction. She said to the king, to Solomon, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and your wisdom, but I didn't believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpasses the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Now, if we stopped there, we'd say, wow, she really likes Solomon. But she recognizes where this is all coming from. Look at the next verse. Blessed be the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. He has made you king, that you may execute justice and righteousness. Now, keep in mind, this is not a Jewish queen, right? This is a lady from a foreign land, a pagan culture. Jesus looks at this crowd and he says, both the queen of Sheba, a Gentile queen, and the people of Nineveh, a Gentile people, they are gonna rise up at the judgment as a condemnation against the people of this generation. I gotta tell you, that, that was, that, they didn't like that. We've seen it already in, in our study of Luke, right? When Jesus elevates a Gentile and over these Jewish leaders, these Pharisees and the Sadducees, like the, the scribes and the lawyers, like they do not, they hate Gentiles. And Jesus is saying, they are gonna rise up and their lives are gonna be a testimony against you. This is, this is, a, this is a word of warning from Jesus. But why? Why? Why is this going to happen? Because, because the queen, when confronted with the truth, she marveled and praised God. When the truth was in front of her, she received it. The people of Nineveh, when, when they were confronted with the truth, they repented and they turned from their sins. So Jesus says, open your eyes. Open your eyes. Something greater than Solomon is here. Something greater than Jonah is here. But rather than believe, like the Queen of Sheba, or repent, like the people of Nineveh, they refused to believe. Instead of recognizing Jesus as their Messiah, 
they closed their eyes to the truth and they refused to see what was right in front of them. Which is why in verse 33, Jesus continues. And he says, no one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. All right, we're going we're gonna to make our way through those verses. By the way, that's where we're stopping today. We're not going beyond those four verses. But again, we need to remember, we need to remember who, who Jesus is, is talking to here. He's, he's confronting a crowd made up of people who, who had witnessed his signs, right? But they refused to believe that he is the Messiah. Some of them had accused him of, of, of being empowered by Satan and others were saying, yeah, pretty good trick, but let's, let's see another, let's see another, let's see another. They were demanding proof that he is the son of God. They kept seeking from him a sign from heaven, which is really just another way of saying, Jesus, you haven't given us enough light yet. You haven't shown us enough yet. In other words, give us more light. Give us another sign. Do something bigger. Do something better. So Jesus looks and says, no one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Now Jesus is using light here as a metaphor for God's revealed truth. And he says, listen, what is the purpose of light? What is the purpose? The whole purpose is to illuminate. The whole purpose is to, so you can see what's in front of you. That's what light does. So nobody lights a, a candle and then sticks it underneath to hide it, right? It's point, it, the, the light is to expose the truth. He said, man, the light, I'm not hiding it. I haven't been hiding it. It's been very clear. You've heard the stories. You just saw a, a sign, Right? The light is all around you. The light is literally right in front of you. Think about all the things that Jesus had done. Think about all the words that he had spoken. Think about the fact that, think about the, fact that the, the audience he's talking to, these Jews, they had the Old Testament scriptures, all of which prophesied about a coming Messiah and pointed directly to Jesus. They had it all. They had it. And if you think about it, they, they had received way more light than the Queen of Sheba had received. Don't you think? They had received way more light than the people of Nineveh who repented. But these people, they, they, they refused to let the light in. So Jesus' words here, they, they make me think of, a, of another occasion when Jesus was answering his critics. In John chapter 5, let me read these words to you. John chapter 5, verses 36 to 40. Jesus says, 
for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice, you've never heard. His form, you've never seen. And listen to this. And you do not have his word abiding in you. For because you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Then he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Wow. Wow. Same, same type of situation, right? They're refusing to, to, to accept what's right in front of them. They're like, oh, we got the scriptures. And he's like, yeah, and the scriptures point to me. It's all about me. And you're ignoring me, which means you don't have this in you. It's a really serious accusation. John chapter eight, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Jesus is the light. And the light was shining. The light was shining bright, but they refused to let it in. So in verse 34, Jesus says, look, your, your eye, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is, is full of darkness. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? Do you see it? It's a, if your eye is healthy, if your eyes are working, let's say pre-cataracts, uh, for those who are dealing with that. If your eyes are healthy, then, then you're gonna be able to see and process the information that the light is revealing, right? You're gonna see it. On the other hand, if your eyes are bad, if your eyes are, worst case scenario, if your eyes are blind, it doesn't matter how much light is around you. If you're blind, you ain't seeing it. The light's not getting in. Your brain's not processing all that information, is it? Relies on other information, right? We, what we hear and things like that. What's really interesting here, what's really interesting here is, is the word that Jesus uses here for, for healthy, for healthy. If your eye is healthy, other translations say clear. But this word actually carries the meaning of being open or sincere. And then the word that's translated as bad here, if your eye is bad, in, in verse 34, is the same, listen, the same exact word that is translated as evil in verse 29, when he said this generation is evil. So in other words, Jesus is saying, look, if your spiritual eyes are, are open and sincere, then you're gonna see the light. You're gonna see it. You're gonna see Jesus for who he truly is, that you're gonna see that he is the light of the world, that he is the Messiah. You're gonna see the truth that Jesus is the, is the one who was sent from God the Father to save us from our sins. But on the other hand, if your spiritual eyes are clouded by sin and evil, then you are spiritually blind and you will not see the truth. You're not gonna see the light. No matter how many signs you ask for, no matter how many signs are given, you won't see the light. 
That's why I love, I love the way that John MacArthur summarizes this, this problem that these people had. Listen to what he says. He says, the problem was not a lack of light, but a lack of sight. The problem was not a lack of light, but a lack of sight. The light of truth was everywhere, but the spiritually blind refused to see it. They refused to see it. John chapter three, verse 19. John chapter three, this is right after the the famous verses, John 3, 16, right? Just a few verses later, Jesus says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. The problem was not a lack of light. It was a lack of sight. The truth was all around them, but the spiritually blind refused to see it. And so Jesus looks at them in the eye. He looks them in the eye. And in verse 35, he gives them a stern, stern warning. He says, therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. The the sad part here is that many of the people who were in that crowd, right? Many of the people in that crowd, we're talking about the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders, they truly believed that they were the spiritually enlightened ones. They believed that. But because they had rejected Jesus, because they had rejected the Messiah, the light of the world, what they thought was light was truly darkness. Jesus is issuing a strong warning to to examine your heart. Look deep, folks. Be careful lest the light that you think is in you turns out to actually be darkness. Be warned. Jesus said that there is is no other way to be reconciled to God. That's what he taught. John 14, 6, he said, "I, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only means for salvation. Every path, every other path rather, is gonna leave you in darkness. I was thinking about it this week. It just, you, you, you hear these words from Jesus and the, the, the seriousness in his tone here, right? I was telling folks before when we were praying in the back, just like last week's message and then this week's message and next week, oh, it gets better. He's gonna be going right at the Pharisees next week. You look at the rest of chapter 11. It's, it's intense. It's intense. But, but what's at stake here is salvation, right? It matters. So Jesus isn't messing around. He's calling it out like it is. This, this is serious, serious business, Verse 36, though, he, he concludes. He doesn't stay there with like that. There is there's some hope here. Verse 36, he concludes. He says, but if then, if, if then your whole body is full of light, 
having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. And these words right here, this is really an invitation to that, to that crowd. He's given them a strong warning. But now this is, this is an invitation. It's an invitation to repent of their sinful ways and, and follow Jesus. Stop rejecting him as the Messiah. Stop rejecting him as, as, as your Lord and receive him. Accept the light that is right in front of you. Bible says that, Bible says that when we repent and we turn to Jesus, that, that we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Talk about light coming out of you, right? He is the light. And we're filled with the light of Christ. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You receive the light when you come to Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter says that those who have become God's children, those who have believed the truth and become followers of Jesus, he says, we are those who have been called out of darkness, called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Like going back to what we talked about last week, we, we have moved from the kingdom of darkness and we've moved into the kingdom of light through Jesus who fills us with his presence, his light. Let me close our time together with this. You know, this morning, it's, it's, we've been talking a lot about the people of, of that generation, right? And, and very specifically, because Jesus is, is addressing a very real people, a very real crowd, a very real evil generation that had rejected the truth that Jesus had, had been living out in front of them, in front of them, right? They were rejecting the light that was right in front of them. And as much as we would love to just leave the focus on that generation, right? Oh, what horrible people. If I was there, I would not have rejected as much as we want to leave the focus on that generation, we need, we need to ask the question, what about us? What about this generation? And what about me? What about you? What are you going to do with the light that has been revealed to you? What are you going to do with it? Are you going to receive Jesus? recognize that he truly is the son of God or are you going to reject him? That was what we talked about last week. Receive him or reject him because there's, there's, there's only two kingdoms, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And if you're not with him, you are against him. I want to close. I mentioned a few minutes ago, John three sixteen. I want to read that passage as we close up through verse 19. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's why he sent his son. 
God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned. Yay! That's good news. If you believe in him. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. My prayer this morning, I mean, I know in, in, in this, this place that many of you you can cheer and say, I'm not condemned. I've received Jesus. I've received the light. Probably most of you would say that. And that's awesome. I love it. I love it. Keep looking to Jesus. Keep studying his word. But I know that in a, in a, in a, in a group this size, that there may be some here who have not believed in him. You haven't received him. You haven't acknowledged the very light that he is exposing to you. You've rejected it up to this point. And my prayer is that today would be the day that you say, I'm done rejecting the truth. Jesus really is the son of God, I believe. I pray that you'll say that today. There's no magic formula that you need to pray, repeat after me these exact words or anything like that. Belief is something that's in your heart. Do you believe the truth that's being revealed to you? And if you do, tell him you believe. Talk to God. That's what we call prayer, right? Talk to him. Tell him, I believe. I want, to, I, want, I want you to be my Lord, my Savior. You died for my sins. Thank you. I want to follow you the rest of my life. Tell him. And if you have questions and you're like, I, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm like, oh, I'm this close, Chris. I, yes, but I still have this question, this nagging whatever. Then don't walk out that door today without grabbing me, grab Pastor Phil, Pastor Jeff, grab, grab somebody here who you know says, I have a relationship with Jesus and ask them those questions. Talk with them and pray with them. My prayer is that, that you would not lay your head on a pillow tonight until you know that you know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for the light, that you are the light who came into this world. And Jesus, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would move on the hearts of those here who do not already know you, and that today would be a day of salvation for them. God, I pray That today would mark the beginning of a life that is completely changed, living in submission to your son. 
following his will and his ways for our lives. God, I know, I know that so many times for a multitude of reasons, we just dismiss these claims that your son made. We ignore them, but God, I pray that today we would stop ignoring them and receive the truth, the light that is right in front of us. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for these words. Thank you for for being willing to not just dismiss those people who were there that day that brought these terrible accusations against you, but that you took the time to answer them because then we have these words from you. I pray that you would continue to work in and through them in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.